Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. What a joy it is to see you, and what a joy it is that every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate the beginning of His church on the day of Pentecost, a Sunday, going all the way back to Acts 2. It's great to see you. It's something that I suspect most of us think a lot about How do we love people that we don't always like? How do we love people whose behavior we don't always think is right in the eyes of God? How do you serve people who are demanding? And not only are they often demanding when you're trying to serve them as a Christian ought, They're undeserving. How do you serve demanding, undeserving people? Look at your hand. Have the mind of Jesus. Have the mind of Jesus. The only way we will be able to love people we don't always like. The only way we'll be able to help people whose behavior we may not always think is right. The only way we'll be able to serve difficult, demanding, undeserving people is have the mind Of Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's an area where I can do a lot of improving. Have the mind of Jesus. Turn in your Bible, please, to Philippians chapter 2. Now, the church at Philippi was Paul's sweetheart church. They had a long and precious relationship. Paul, of course, is in jail when he writes this book. In jail for no other reason than being God's man and being a servant of Jesus Christ. It's somewhere between 60 and 62 A.D. But there in the church at Philippi, there were things outwardly that threatened the unity of the church, that threatened the church there. There were also things going on internally that were threatening the health of the church. Personality groups, people taking sides, things of that nature. 
And that's one of the reasons Paul writes in Philippians 4, 2, and 3. I exhort Euodia and I exhort Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. You will notice very similar terminology from Philippians 2, 1 and 2 that Carl just read. When you look at Philippians 2, 1 and 2, here's a word I'd like for you to remember. Unity. Because of our Lord and Savior, God's people should have great unity. Unity. You'll see that in the first two verses. One mind, one spirit, and the like. Like-minded. Then when you look at verse 3... You'll see another word that I think that we can put down here. Because in verse 3, the word is humility. Humility. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain, empty conceit, but esteem others better than you. Unity. Humility. Then verse 4, sensitivity. If we would have unity in Christ, we must possess the mind of Christ, be humble in Christ, and be sensitive to one another in Christ. You talk about a tall order. You talk about something that can be very difficult to do at times. But nonetheless, that's exactly what we are instructed to be in Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Sensitive to one another, humble concerning one another because we possess the mind of Christ and united in Christ. Lifting him up. There are two terms I want you to go back and look at from Philippians 2, 1 through 4. The first one is selfish ambition. You see it? Selfish ambition is, this is what I want. This is what I want. That's selfish ambition. This is what I want. And then the second expression, vain or empty conceit. This is what I deserve. This is what I want because this is what I deserve. Imagine the harm that this can cause in a marriage when people start thinking, this is what I want and this is what I deserve. Think of the harm this can cause in a family when various individuals think, this is what I want and this is what I deserve. Think of the harm this can cause in churches when every member of the congregation starts to think, this is what I want and this is what I deserve. Think of the harm this would cause in a nation when people think this is what I want and this is what I deserve. 
And yet it is from Jesus we learn, Matthew 26, 39 through 42, not as I will, but your will be done. One final remark about Philippians 2, 1 through 4. It's an appeal. It's an appeal for unity and humility and sensitivity as the people of God. And then there is the admonition in verse 5. Have this mind in you which was also in Christ. Have this mindset. Have this attitude. Have this way of thinking in you that was also in Jesus. You know, let me just say this about this is what I want and this is what I deserve. Aren't you glad that God hasn't always given you what you wanted? And I can take it a point farther because Paul does. Aren't you glad God hasn't given you what you deserve? And it was all because that Jesus having the kind of mind that he had. And now we're instructed to have the same kind of mind. And then the mind of Jesus is described in Philippians 2, 6 through 11. You've got the appeal in the first four verses. You've got the admonition. Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus in verse 5. And then you have the supreme example or illustration of a godly mindset in verses 6 through 11. Now, what happens in Philippians 2, 6 through 11 is this. It neatly divides itself. It neatly divides itself for us. In Philippians 2, 6 through 8, see the humility of Jesus. In Philippians 2, 6 through 8, see the humility of Jesus. And then on the other side, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. See the exaltation of Christ. See the humility of Jesus. I have my pride. I have my rights. I have my privileges. Sometimes the greatest right and the greatest privilege is not to exercise your right or privilege because of someone you love. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what Philippians 2, 1 through 11 are all about. I must have what I want and I will have what I deserve has done more to kill marriages, families, churches, and countries than anything. And I believe Philippians 2, 1 through 11 should be read at every wedding, at least a part of it. I believe that Philippians 2, 1 through 11 should be considered by every family, every husband and wife, every mom and dad, and 
son and daughter. But I believe that Philippians 2, 1 through 11 ought to be considered by every congregation. I want what I want and I want what I deserve. To put it as frankly as I can and yet as simply, that is not the spirit of Jesus. And it ought not to be seen in the people of God. See the humility of Jesus. Look at verses 6, 7, and 8. See his, humilia- uh, see his humility in renunciation. See his humility in renunciation. There's a couple of expressions I'd like to note with you from Philippians 2 and verse 6. Who being in the very form of God. Do you see that expression? The word essence or nature. Being in the very form, essence, nature of God. And really what that statement is saying in the form of God is this. Whatever makes God God, Jesus has it and He has it fully and perfectly and completely. So we're talking about one who had all of the rights and the privileges of God and He's in heaven and glory. Everybody with me? But the term also carries with it this. Jesus has the glory that only comes from being divine. He has the glory that only comes from being God, divine, divinity. Think of John chapter 1, especially verses 14 through 18. We beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The form, the essence, the nature of God, the one who is the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. Hebrews 1, verses 2 and 3. Form of God. But here is another expression in verse 6. He did not count equality with God. Equality with God. That means he is equal with God. The nature of God, the essence of God, the form of God, Jesus is that. But not just that, he is equal with the Father. He's equal with Father. Now, think about it this way, Lynn Mayfield. If he's equal with the Father, he's not gaining anything because there's nothing to be gained. And he's not losing anything because he can't be less than he is. God. So you see Jesus' humility in his pre-existent glory. Think about Jesus. 
He is fully, completely God. He's in heaven. He's been in the presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit from eternity past. And you know what? Keep looking at the passage. Look, if you will, at verse 7. He did not count being equal with God a thing to be grasped. End of verse 6. A thing to be grasped. The King James, I think, says made himself of no reputation or something like that. Now see his humility in not just his pre-existence, before Abraham was, I am, Jesus said, John 8, 58, who existing in the form of God, equal with God, did not say, I am going to just keep all of my rights and privileges and not come down. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to keep all my rights and privileges of being up here and not come down. Why should I come down for them? People are so demanding. People are so difficult. People can be so hard to get along with. And Jesus didn't say, uh-uh. I'm going to stay right here with the Father and with the Spirit. The text says he emptied himself, verse 7. See his humility in the incarnation. Carl, you read the passage of Philippians 2, the first two verses. Think about Christ's humility. Throughout the ages of the Old Testament, because the Father was often spoken of, and Jews, as a rule, had no real clue about the Son of God. Think about that. Didn't Jesus have every right and privilege to be known as God back then? But out of a desire to humble himself out of love for us and a desire to honor the will of God, Jesus does not press his rights and privileges. He humbled himself. Now the question is, how? How did he humble himself? How did he empty himself? May I suggest that you'll never find a better commentary on Philippians 2 and verse 7 in answer to the question of what did Jesus empty himself, or how did he empty himself, than the rest of 7 and 8. Can I read it right out of God's Word to you? Philippians 2, 7 and 8. By taking the form of a servant... Being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death. 
even death on the cross. Was Jesus ever any less than God? No. Was Jesus less than God when he came here? Absolutely not. Because existing in the form of God, being equal with God, he empties himself. But it is an emptying not by subtracting his deity. It's an emptying by adding humanity. Do y'all hear me? It is absolutely mind-blowing. You talk about a humble, self-sacrificing, loving others mindset. That's exactly what Jesus manifests. We can call it the great condescension because he was in heaven in the presence, the eternal presence of the Father and the Spirit. And the text says he emptied himself, he made himself of no reputation. How does this come about? He takes the form of a servant. How often does Jesus say, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10, 44 and 45. Made in the likeness and fashion of a man. In the image of sinful man, Romans 8, 3. He is a man like us, yet without sin. He's mankind, he's human. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. The great condescension from heaven to the incarnation to human, God-man, to death. He was obedient to death, even to death on the cross. A death that was reserved for the worst offenders. Those guilty of the most heinous, serious crimes. A curse, Galatians 3.13. You talk about humility. Humility and not exercising his rights and privileges in verse 6. Humility in his incarnation. What it must have been like for God to, with all of his glory... To look like everybody else. To be flesh and blood. How humble it was of God. Jesus. And not only that, how humble it was of him to be willing to die. Not just die, but die on a cross for us. Now get this. Get this, Adam. It'll make you a better preacher and teacher. Most of the passages in the New Testament deal with the cross and what Jesus accomplished for us. But Philippians 2, 5 through 11, is among a very few passages that look at everything from a different angle. What was going through the mind of Jesus when he came here to go to the cross?
Not just what was accomplished for us, but what he was thinking and feeling in coming here. Aren't you glad inspiration tells us that too? In 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, Paul would write, For you yourselves know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. So his renunciation, he didn't claim his rights and privileges because of love. Because of our need and His love. We go on and we look at the incarnation. God becomes man. No religion's got anything quite like that. Only Christianity. And we see His crucifixion, even dying a shameful, awful, criminal death. Before I leave this point, The educational center of the world when Jesus was born was Alexandria, Egypt. That's not where Jesus was born. They had one of the largest libraries, probably the largest in the world for many years. The political center of the world when Jesus was born was Jerusalem. Nope. The political center of the world was Rome, wasn't it? When Jesus was born, the philosophical center of the world was Athens. And when Jesus was born, the religious center of the world was Jerusalem. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. at a place where there had been no room for them in an inn. The intellectual center of the world is not Alexandria, Egypt, but Jesus, the wisdom of God. The political center of the world is not Rome. Never has been, not really. The political center of the world is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The philosophical center of the world had been Athens, but really that's just not true. The philosophical, the study of knowledge, the real center of knowledge is Jesus Christ. Because if you don't know him, you don't know nothing, anything, if I say it grammatically correct. And then, the religious center is not Jerusalem. The religious center of all of the universe and all creation is the throne of God. And Jesus sits on that throne. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that he did not claim his rights and privileges? But out of love he came down. Now see his exaltation in verses 9 through 11. And I move quickly. Notice verse 9. See his exalted position. Therefore, God, God has highly exalted him. And the idea is God has super exalted Jesus. 
because of his humble service, his loving, sacrificial service, God has super exalted Jesus. Just as we are super conquerors, more than conquerors through him who loved us, Romans 8, 37 through 39, so Jesus has been super exalted by God. Because how can anyone read passages like this and not be amazed that he came down for us, difficult, demanding, undeserving people? And it makes me think that maybe we need to try to treat one another when people are being difficult and demanding and don't deserve good treatment. We need to remember to have the mind of Jesus. Amen? Now, thankfully, that would never happen in the church. That may happen in your marriage. It may happen in your family. It may happen in our community. But thank God those things will never happen in our churches when people are demanding and want to have their way and think that they deserve something they don't. Tongue firmly in cheek okay now notice this secondly from verse 10 ah, I missed this part I need to bring it out he gave him a name that is above every other name super authority a super exalted position Now notice verse 10. It says, So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. His exalted position, super exalted, and given a name above every other name, verse 9, super adoration, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, on earth, under earth, all of creation bows down and acknowledges Jesus. That's what this text says will occur. It's a whole lot better to do it willingly and lovingly and humbly than to bow the knee to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God and be lost when he came to save. Notice verse 11. And we can put 10 and 11 together, and there is an exalted confession. And confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now what I want you to do is this. Turn in your Bible with me to Isaiah 45 and verse 23. Isaiah 45 verse 23. Because... Verses 10 and 11 are an allusion to Isaiah 45 and verse 23. Catch this with me. Isaiah 45, let me begin reading in verse 21, and I'll read through verse 23. Isaiah 45, 21 through 23. Declare and present your case, let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? 
and there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth is gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Here's what I really want to bring out to you. In Isaiah 45, 21-23, Yahweh is being referred to. And in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, especially 10 and 11, Paul, with his background in Phariseeism, now a Christian, has no problem whatsoever taking a passage that had initially referred to Yahweh and says, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. You know what I conclude from that? Jesus is God. Don't you? He has whatever makes God, God perfectly, fully, and completely. And every tongue will acknowledge that, will confess that. Philippians 2, 1 through 11 is a great passage. And here's what I'd like for you to think about as we draw things to a close. Probably the most detailed passage anywhere in the New Testament about Jesus coming down and what it meant for him to come down to him is given as an illustration a supreme illustration of how we should have the mind of Christ toward each other. You know, if the Bible can give one of the greatest passages concerning who Jesus is and what he's like and why he came down as an illustration, I think all of us would do well to apply the illustration to the admonition. Have this mind in you which was also in Christ. Deal with others sensitively, humbly, and desiring the unity that's in Christ. If you're not a Christian, today's a great day to become one through faith, repentance, and baptism. And if you are a Christian, today is a great day to begin as maybe never before praying, God, help me to have more of the mind of my Savior, Lord, and King. Let us stand and sing.